You know, it's fascinating because I, I really, I do love myself. I do, and I'm very grateful for all of the experiences in my life that led me to be who I am. But when I, when I reflect about somebody who's very aggressive or very competitive, those attributes or those words are not consistent with the path that I've chosen in spirituality, which is ego death. Welcome to Natural Tendencies. I'm your host, Rick Braden. Join us as we hear the real issues affecting real people that truly and deeply impact their work performance. Anxiety, depression, conflict, marital problems, trauma, grief, and loss. Right here, right now, right on! I think it's interesting because we were during our sound check with Bob the Builder, we were exploring a question of what do I call you? Because you go by two names, and one of them is Lisa, which is the name by which I was first introduced to you. And then I was confused at one point because we were at a retreat in uh, Sebastian in Florida, and everybody was calling me Collie. So when we sat down, I thought, what do I call you and why? And you said, that's always an interesting question. So let's start right there. Love it. Great. It is an interesting question because um, I know how difficult it would be for you being introduced to me as Lisa to all of a sudden change and start calling me Kali. And I remember when that happened with my family, I was, my mother named, my mother and father named me Lisa Marie Wolf when I was born. That's my wife's name without Lisa the Wolf Marie. part. It yeah. could have been. Yeah. Yeah, she's Lisa Marie. She was named after Lisa Marie Preston. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's, there were a million well, Lisa Marie's. And you're very close in age. age. Yeah. And Elvis Presley was king. He was. <laughs> and my parents will tell you that's why I was named Lisa Marie. Cool. But, uh, and Lisa's a cool name if you really get into it. You know, in our culture, we don't, not everybody dives into the meanings of names. But I remember being upset at my parents when I was younger because there was always at least two or three Lisas in my class. And so I didn't have that unique name. And I always ended up with friends with unique names. I specifically remember them there being the comic strip in the newspaper back then with um, the little girl's name was Dolly. And I thought, that what a cool name. Why didn't you name me Dolly, Mom? And she was like, well, I never even thought about that name. So we got into the whole discussion at a very young age about my name. And she looked up the meaning. And of course, she named me after Lisa Marie Presley. So she didn't, this wasn't in her consciousness. But the meaning of the name Lisa is gift from God. And my parents are very devout Catholics. So she was thrilled to discover that. And of course, at my young age, I thought, um, wow, when my brother says to me the next time that we're in an argument, what do you think you're a gift from God? I will say, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, that is exactly what my name means. So, um, and, and knowing the context of that meaning gave me this sense of responsibility to own up to that meaning. Wow. 
And, and at, that was about the time in my life that I was having my first spiritual awakenings. I used to climb trees a lot, and I'd spend a lot of time way up, uh, changing my perspective high in a tree. And uh, those, are, those are the things that I would contemplate. Then fast forward about 20, I wanted, I'm trying to think of how old I was when my guru named me Kali. Uh, it was about the year 2000, so 18 years ago, 18 or more years ago. Um, so it must have been, what am I, 47? Must have been approaching 30. And I had already been teaching yoga for quite a long time. And that's kind of what brought me to my guru's ashram, where we met, is um, I had heard a lot about the yoga community down there. I heard a lot about the work that this guru, Ma, had done. And I was at an age um, where I was seeking a teacher, a master teacher, a guru. And I remember meeting someone saying, you know, when you are on that path of seeking a guru, um, it should be similar to a man with his head on fire seeking water. You really should be searching for your teacher. <laughs> a man with his head on fire seeking water. water. That's a yeah. pretty strong intention, I imagine. Right, right. <laughs> That's a fully committed person. Fully committed intention to find this teacher. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I kind of went through this. What we, you know, in the yoga world, we have these uh, silly terms like being a, a guru whore or something, like going around looking for who is my guru. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it was at what, based on my teachings or the the teachings that I had been reading at that time. I really thought it was going to be um, the original uh, guru Amrit Desai. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he has an ashram in. Uh, here in Florida as well, and uh, but he's from India, and he's founded Kripalu Yoga and Amrit Yoga and Yoga Nidra, and I met him at Kashi Ashram when he was doing a retreat. But when we went to Darshan, and I was before Ma for the for probably the first or second time, um, I was really drawn to her as well, and uh, just started visiting the ashram on a regular basis and uh, was given an opportunity to go before Ma for what was called at the time a painted Kali reading, where she would be doing a spiritual teaching with you personally in the temple, where the temple is full of people, but it's just you and the guru on the, on the altar. And she was painting, um, she, she would paint this uh, painting and, um, and give you a spiritual lesson. It was called a painted Kali reading. Well, when I walked towards her, she started signing the back of it first because she numbered all of these paintings. And she said, to, and she wrote, to my very own Kali, without even realizing it herself. And she said, well, I wrote Kali, you must be Kali. And the whole temple went crazy and you know, clapped and cheered and all these crazy things. And, and I thought, wow. And she said, do you know what that means? And we got into the whole uh, teaching of what, what it means to be given a spiritual name. Um, she told me a little bit more about Kali, asked me what I knew about Kali, and then uh, sent me with uh, one of the head swamis, uh, Swami Moksharam, who was also deceased at this time. But I went with him to Swami Nityananda's temple, and uh, she wanted me to learn about the Chittakash, which is the space of detachment. And that was a big part of my uh, spiritual teaching when I was given the name Kali. Mm. So that's been um, a huge part of my path since that day that I was named Kali. 
But the, the interesting thing, the parallel of going back to learning the name about, or the meaning of the name Lisa, and then feeling like I had to really honor this gift from God calling, since that's what I was being called. Uh, Ma talks about when you're given a spiritual name, it is uh, recognizing in you who you really are at the core of your spiritual self. And when somebody calls you that name, they are holding you accountable to that calling. So for me, if I had to give my preference when you asked me today, how, how should I refer to you? Kali is, uh, it's music to my ears. It feels like something that my guru really wants me to be called and reminded over and over again that I am Kali so that I can be held accountable to that calling. <laughs> I love it. So I'm thinking we're going to, I now have a rapper name for you and it's GGK. GGK? <laughs> from God, Kali. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's go with that GGK. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so when we visited, or when I visited this ashram, it was the second ashram that I had visited in my entire life. And the first one was maybe a year before, and I was with big brain Bob over there who's laughing and holding his face because we were trying to find John Milton, the world-renowned ecologist and teacher and Tai Chi teacher. And we took a wrong turn and ended up at a ashram. And so it seemed like a good idea to just go in there. And this was in Crestone, Colorado. We first dead-ended the no metaphor there intended whatsoever at a Buddhist temple. And we asked them if they knew who John was and where he was, and they said he was north and we were south. So it seemed like we needed to go north. And then we saw this really opulent, super cool building. I think it had a big blue top on it. And we went in and there was these old guys that were kind of almost like a, a vaudeville routine guy that was sort of a, had a, cross between sort of a circus director, Mater D kind of guy, and, and he was like cracking funny jokes and they made us chocolate muffins. And so we had some chocolate muffins, it was Bob and I and my son, and they, they'd started talking to us about, a little bit about what Hinduism was all about, and I was a student of, and have been so interested in world religions all my life, but it's a very different experience to take a class in world religions and to be in an ashram. Yeah. So that Great. was the first time, and then the second time, so, so they're taking us on a tour, and we see this uh, statue, or I don't know exactly what you even call them, but it was of Kali. Deity. Deity. Or a Morty. Mm -hmm. A Morty deity. And this was a gnarly chick, man. Like she seemed yeah. to, if I'm not mistaken, she had like a couple swords. Yeah. I think there was some cobras that were hanging with her. Her hair looked um, pretty Medusa-esque. And uh, she looked like ridiculously intense and scary. Yeah, that, that is a great way to describe Kali. Well, that's what it looks like. So if you want to do a Google search or an image search on Kali, I'm sitting in front of her. Now she does not look like that. So, 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 so this is like your true spiritual essence that was given to you by your guru. And all of these words are so interesting because many of us in the West, these, these can either evoke confusion or 
people can have different reactions to them because they're unknown. Right. And often with a, something unknown, people will tend to react with either a fear or maybe a disdain and aversion. And I think once we get to know something, then some of those preconceptions, misconceptions can fall away. Absolutely. So I think this is an awesome time to explore a little bit about that. But I'm reminded, when you completed our assessment, which is sort of the basis of most of our relationships and what we do, we're, we're looking to understand a person's sort of core psychology as they're walking about the earth right now. What are, the, what are their behavioral preferences? What do they love to do? What do they not like to do? And maybe even more importantly, what are their core motivators and core drivers? And so one of the things I noticed was that on our assessment, you had an elevated aggression score. And I commented on that, which, which is a really a competitiveness, a forward kind of energy and intensity are the things that are tied to that behavioral scale. And so I brought that forward and you had a very strong reaction to me bringing that forward. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? And you've had a similar reaction in the last week and we're gonna explore that. Okay, great. So um, yeah, the aggression thing is something that I've had a heightened awareness of my whole life. And once I got on the yoga path about 26 years ago, learning that yoga is about uh, releasing competition, letting go of the ego, all of these things that now I'm trying to work really hard to combat who I am, which is an oh, extremely competitive, very dominant, very Thinking about very that, aggressive. working really hard to combat who I am. Wow. That's what you just said. I was working really hard to combat who I am. Wow. And that's exactly what I just, when we were talking earlier about what I had to bring up today. You know, it's fascinating because I, I really, I do love myself. I do. And I'm very grateful for all of the experiences in my life that led me to be who I am. But when I, when I reflect about somebody who's very aggressive or very competitive, those attributes or those words are not consistent with the path that I've chosen in spirituality, which is ego death and letting go of competition, letting go of judgment, letting go of expectation, releasing, surrendering. It's like the antithesis of what my, who I am at my core, right? There's another phrase, ego death. Ego death. It is. Combat death. death. Yeah, which so, is very calling. So you're this going about this mission of killing parts of you. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to do that? Yes. Really? I do. I mean, that's part of the, the path, and I think that's why it was so important for me to find a teacher, a master teacher, my, my guru, because it's, it's helping me understand those attributes that are useful, helpful, powerful parts of who I am and then taming or at least being able to let's put it this way 
she she wrote a book called the 11 karmic spaces and and, and it, she refers to these karmic spaces as cubby holes and where aggression can escalate into something that is not useful it's not helpful because it's actually pushing people away from you it's doing the opposite of whatever your intended goal is and sometimes that's when that attribute is no longer useful it's having so so i think the death part for me is more associated with the ego, the lower ego that is not useful. And really that's when, when, you, when you hear the term get out of your own way, it's really that lower ego that you just need to get out of your own way um, and become a little bit more empty so that you can be a conduit for the, that, that <laughs> spiritual teaching or that spiritual essence or that soul body, the, the truth of who you are, the highest self of who you are can shine through. And I think I do get hung up on, on words. Um, and then I use crazy words like combating an ego death and all of that to combat the words. But, uh, but does it make sense at all? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I, and I want to add something to it. So when I think of that word aggression, and it's interesting because on our assessment, the word aggression itself is seen as something positive in 50% of our culture. And another 50% of our culture sees it as something negative. If that has been a part of who you are, I wonder what embracing that quality might look like as opposed to trying to kill it. <laughs> Thank you. And then that would be worth considering. I obviously think it would be. Yeah. It would be. It would be. So a way to practice something like that, does that make sense? That's something that might be useful? Totally useful. So then so then it's interesting because once once something has been brought forward and introduced to our consciousness, like instead of combating and killing our ego, what if so the idea is, what would it look like if we embraced it? And you're suggesting right now, I believe, to me that you might be interested in trying something like that. Yeah. So in all humans, almost all probably, at times frustration, which is a form of anger, aggression, which we tend to associate with uh, anger or force, that's a part of being a human being. We have the entire gestalt, the whole, oh, I don't even know, the whole plethora, the entirety of emotion. So on the one hand, there's parts of us that are incredibly gentle and kind. Most people, if they see an elderly person that's struggling with a door, they'll open it for them. Most right. people will just do that instinctively it's part of our basic goodness as people and then there's things that come up that just piss us off and anger arises in every single person so once the anger arises now what well we can combat it I shouldn't feel this way I, I've been working on this stuff for so long why am I not better why have I not mastered mm -hmm. this so that's the sort of, this is a part of myself that I'm rejecting. It's a part of myself that I'm rejecting that I think is bad. 
that needs to change. And that anger has an energy, that intensity has an energy. And that energy can be very useful. Mother Earth has the same kind of energy, explosive, intense heat at her center. Sure. For sure. I don't think she's trying to eliminate it. I don't think so. Great analogy. And so when anger arises, which it did in me, and I'll share a quick story. So I realized I hadn't been angry, angry really or frustrated in a while. So I was preparing to come to Florida for this trip and I was online renting my car and they would not rent me a car because my driver's license had expired. So I pulled out my driver's license and in fact it was expired. So I'm leaving like 12 hours later. So I go to the motor vehicle department, which I think all of us find totally delightful. <laughs> it's a wonderful place to practice. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to have frustration triggered, I suggest you go there right now <laughs> and see how you do with the motor vehicle department. Yeah. I don't know about them in Florida, but oh, they're, yeah. they're challenging. And, um, and so now they require four forms of ID. Four forms. One of them was a social security card, which I don't have. One of them was a registered birth certificate in the state you live. I live in New Mexico, but my birth certificate's from El Paso, Texas, where I was born because I never registered my birth certificate. Like, who does that, registers a birth certificate in another state? I've never done that. <laughs> okay, okay. So I have neither one of these first two required forms. The third one was a W-2, which I'd never even considered because I own my own business, so I don't think in terms of a W-2. Of course. So now I'm over for three of the four requirements, and we've got four hours for them before they close. So I'm doing everything I can to calm down, recognizing the anger rising, <laughs> the frustration. I'm like, I may not get on a plane, mind wandering, out of rest, because I'm now living in the future of what might happen. Sure. My daughter asked me if I can help her with something, and I say no, I, and, and she's like, walks out of the room and said, don't talk to dad, he's pissed off. That's awesome. My godson was there who was trying to tie his little belt for his karate class, wanted me to tie his belt for him. I said no. Really going well. Really going yeah. well. Now I've managed to offend two people that I love dearly, hurt their feelings, and, and I know I did it, so I'm in this agitated state. So then I just closed the door so that they could no longer bother me. And I'm like, wow, there it is. There it is. There it is. So what to do? So in general, when anger arises, so important to notice that anger is in me. Anger and frustration, aggression are a part of me. They're a part of you. Yeah. And we can actually take good care of our anger. The emotions are one thing. What you do, how you act on it, is all the difference. And whether like often when we're in those disrupted, unbalanced emotional states, inaction is usually a great idea, usually. And so recognizing the anger, taking good care of that anger. Well, how do we take good care of it? Well, anger is an energy and we can bring up another energy. And the other energy we can bring up is mindfulness. And we can reconnect our minds and our bodies which you know how to do extremely well, so just often through the breath, right? Right. Breathing in, I know that anger is inside me. 
breathing out, I smile to my anger, and I accept that my anger is a part of me. And so now we have these two energies that are both in the living room, so to speak, of our consciousness. They're both there. And so we have one guest that's very welcome, and we have one guest that, like many guests who come to our home, some we like to stay longer than others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Great visual. So we now have both of those there. And then rather than judging the anger, I've got to get rid of this. I've got to combat it. It's part of the lesser ego, which I want to kill. It needs to die. These are very strong things because it is a part of us. It's not going to die. And what if we treat that person, that energy with, with a real respect and a real tenderness like we would any guest that came over that we don't want to just offend and throw out. We want to treat everybody who comes into our home equally, respectfully, and kindly. Right. And we can do that exact same thing with our emotions. Beautiful. So tell me about how that, what, how does that feel? What does that, what's that like as I bring forward and develop this idea? I love, it's almost like Hinduism. I love the story and the visual that, and the context that you gave me to reframe it in my mind. It's beautiful. The, the, the guests that are all invited and one of them just needs, you know, maybe to be hugged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tended yeah, we, to a little differently. And we can ask ourselves, where's the suffering? Yeah. Where's the suffering? Well, the suffering is in our perceptions. It is. It's all perception. The suffering's in the perceptions. So if there's a part of me, like aggression, but there's another part of me that has a perception that that's wrong, then I'm going to be having war internally. Yeah. I'm going to be in combat internally. And then if somebody brings something up about you, that touches on that part of you you don't like, it's going to create a reaction. Yeah. So then you shared with me another story about our friend Leslie Brathway. Yeah. And Leslie is a friend of ours, and he's a recording artist and or a recording engineer, and just a really chill island person. He's from the islands. Yeah. Got a real laid back, easy vibe. Tell me what you shared about Leslie and something that just recently happened. Yeah, I really appreciate my friendship with Leslie a lot. We both have just, because we've been through storytelling and things together that just open both of us up to have really candid conversations that are a lot deeper than just the surface level stuff, we can go there pretty fast. And when we were at the beach um, with John, with you, um, for this wonderful experience, um, we were all kind of moving in and out of different things. And just in the kitchen, he happened to witness me going through something, I think, with my son. He might have even just witnessed a conversation that I had had with my son, because he knows I struggle with my son over this whole video game thing. Our it's family not... are the best people to reveal our buttons. Oh my gosh, <laughs> isn't it so true? That was like my, my poster for last Christmas was, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, he picked up on something on me, and, and uh, we just talked about it. And, and, and in a friend way, he was just noticing 
the way that I responded or the way that I was um, reacting to a situation with the games with my son. I wish that I could recall exactly what he said to me in the moment, but he was certainly just in a friendly way pointing out what I had just done or what I had said, how I behaved in this situation. And, and he wasn't trying to trigger me. He was, he was just sharing and mm -hmm. reflecting. He was mm -hmm. holding up a mirror, which is mm -hmm. what we all do for each other. And I mm -hmm. think that's a beautiful thing. But instead of me seeing the mirror and being grateful, I saw the mirror and thought, ew, I, I don't look very nice. And that, you know, what, how can I fix that? Mm -hmm. Because I didn't like what he was reflecting about me. It did trigger that exactly what you just said. It triggered a spot that I thought that I've been working on in myself to combat. And he just was highlighting that it's still very much there. And, and you can see it right there in the mirror and the reflection. What, how I responded to his feedback was more about, thank you for letting me know I need to work on that. And he was like, no, 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 no. This wasn't about you working on something. When I tell you something, it's more of me just honoring what I see in you as a friend. I don't want to change you. I don't want anything about you to change. I don't want to tell you something so that you go in that direction. It's more about me just letting you know that I see you. and. And I see that part of you that you don't like, but it's okay with me. Exactly. Which is so beautiful for mm -hmm. me to realize that that internal combat is so unnecessary. Yeah. I think almost all of us at some level create some level of combat since we're on that theme with ourselves and at a really deep and often unconscious level we believe that there's some part of this part of us that's just wrong or just bad or just needs to be improved and then we have all of this evidence to support that idea and I've been thinking a lot about are people basically good or people basically evil and I believe people are basically good. But I believe our basic goodness, we'll just call it basic goodness. Our basic goodness is often overlooked because the things we don't like about ourselves become the highlight of attention, the highlight of our work, the highlight of our effort, the highlight and the central focus of all of our aversion. And then we're always trying to work to fix something to be better, which if you're fixing something, it implies that something is fundamentally broken. It means that something is fundamentally wrong right. that needs to be changed. So I've been thinking about this idea of basic goodness and I thought, okay, well, in the city of Orlando, how many people are here in Orlando? What's our population? Is it four million, three million? Can we just say three million just for ease? Sure. So of those 3 million people, I imagine there's probably like 250,000 young men and young women who got up in the middle of the night and sleep deprived changed their diapers of their babies or their elderly parents, basic goodness. There's people who let somebody get in front of them in a line, basic goodness. There's, people, there's times when you will just see a person in need, a homeless person or somebody, and you'll give them some money basic goodness. There's times where 
you may prepare a nice meal for somebody because you know they're hungry, basic goodness. You hold the door for the elderly person, basic goodness. You notice a beautiful sunset and it makes you feel good inside, basic goodness. And I started tracking incidents of basic goodness. And I started watching them in people. And I, I think the average person probably exhibits 200 examples of basic goodness a day. Wow. And we notice close to zero of those because we notice the one time we make the mistake and that becomes the thing that proves there's something wrong with us that needs to be fixed. And it's absolutely backwards. Wow. Powerful. So what's happening inside as we sort of develop these ideas of basic goodness, of not needing to have a war inside of us, of just resting, just mm -hmm. sort of more resting and trusting. Yeah, it's such a good feeling to just uh, surrender. Yeah, it's like, ah, oh, because even your shoulders dropped just now. Yeah. And your breathing deepened. Yeah. Very simple, right? So simple. It actually even reminded me of my son, um, which is what triggered that whole thing with Leslie. Uh, my middle son is just a, a very fiery little dude. And um, he said, he, he reflects to us all the time that we say no all the time. And a psychologist friend uh, said basically exactly what you just said, that he only hears no, but he doesn't hear any of the yeses. We give him 200 yeses a day, right? <laughs> he only remembers the four no's. That's good. And that, right? Yeah. So well, you always say no. That's all you ever say is no. <laughs> so now with River, we try and point out every time we say yes, even if it's like, Mom, can I go get a glass of water? That's yes. Awesome. And this is a yes moment. Just so you know, <laughs> we, this is a yes every time. We're recording a yes <laughs> on the water. For everything, but I love what you just shared because it just reminded me. Right, look at and you know basic and I, goodness. Basic the goodness. most simple things. The most simple things. Smiling at somebody, basic goodness. Right. Saying thank you, basic goodness. We don't have to do that. Right. General politeness. We don't walk out and hit somebody. We tend to smile at people. We tend to wave to people. We say hello. We say goodbye. Basic goodness. That's great. Beautiful. Even the idea that we want to be better. Who wants to be better? Well, if I want to be better, it implies basically goodness. I want to do better. I want to be kinder. I want to be more compassionate. We, don't you want all those things? Of course. Of course. Of course. Well, what wants those things? What wants to be like that? It's this recognition of true nature and basic goodness yeah. that wants those things and wants to be like that. And when we're not like that, when we behave in a way that's unwholesome, in a way that hurts ourselves or others, we feel bad about it. Why would we feel bad? Basic goodness. Yeah. Basic goodness. Why, Why do we say sorry? Basic, Basic goodness. goodness. Why do we forgive? Basic goodness. It's like all the time. Yeah. All the time. So we start noticing. noticing. Mindfulness, the most basic definition of mindfulness is just awareness. So what are we aware of? It's very helpful to become more aware, more mindful of basic goodness. Because then you're building a case for you being okay, instead of daily building a case why you're not. Oh, 
what I need to fix. What you need to fix. Yeah. And then it becomes a lot of work if we're always trying to fix things. It's a lot of work and then we realize how tired we are. Mm. Just I'm always exhausted. Why am I always so exhausted? I do all these things. I do yoga for hours a day. I, I try to be a good person. I try to stay in shape. I try to eat well. I try to tell the truth. I try to do... And it's like exhausting. Because we, we're, we're really trying to overcome something as opposed to accept. And as we focus on basic goodness, we can start to rest. And we can start to trust more. And life gets easier. So much easier. Yeah. It's interesting that we can see all the basic goodness in others. And uh, as you were just sharing this with me, I, I was realizing um, one of my ideas of success is owning your own life and spending it on growing and serving, right? Um, but what that, that growth word, and you're, you're holding up a great mirror for me and, and helping me realize what, how, how much power is in the words that I use. Because in growing, I'm thinking that I'm constantly evolving. And if I don't see those, those patterns or their shifts in myself, maybe I'm a, just my, my own worst critic in a lot of ways. Um, where teaching about obsessing over the fabulous things that you love about yourself and teaching, hopefully one day I'll, I'll master it myself, but it's a, it's yeah, a process, it's a dance. And it's, it is, and it's interesting because there, we can get into ego and start trying to tell us all these fabulous things about ourselves, and then we have these other, this other side of us that does things that are not so fabulous, so we're kind of vacillating between either being overly inflated or overly deflated. But when we start getting just to the core and these ideas of basic goodness, it sort of helps you stay a little more in the middle between, Beautiful. oh, I'm so awesome, which maybe when people give us praise or recognition or we think we did an awesome job, we feel so great, and then the one critic comes along and says, oh, wow, you really suck, then we feel so bad, and oh, man, that pendulum is brutal and exhausting. If you're comfortable in your own basic goodness, which comes like all things, just by cultivating it, but you said the word grow. So for the tree to grow, sunlight's required, oxygen's required, uh, soil is required. For a plant to grow, especially fruit, there has to be the gardener, there has to be an environment that's right. conducive to growth, there has to be somebody that's tending to that growth. When the baby's born, the parents take care of it, then the friends come along, then you have uncles and aunts or friends and cousins. Growth is never dependent on you. Growth is always dependent on placing yourself in the right conditions. Wow. If you're in the right conditions, you will grow. And you can just trust that. So if you're choosing people that are the kind of people you want to be around, and you're in environments like wild nature that you are that are conducive to growth, those powers are forces greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity, borrowing from AA. Come to trust that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. So just by creating the conditions, you can then trust and rest that your growth is happening. It's never up to you entirely. In fact, you may be the minor supporting role in this. Wow, right. That's a gift right there. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you.
At Behavioral Essentials, we intend to help a lot of people. And today we hope we helped you. So join us for our next session. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And visit our website at behavioralessentials.com. Thanks for listening.